the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It is just before midnight here on the East Coast on Saturday night. We still have plenty of Week 9 action, but it is time to give you our instant reaction. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Thanks to all of you that are joining us live at youtube.com slash cover three. Join in on the conversation. Let us know what you saw today, what you uh, are, are feeling hot about uh, as we look at uh, a big turning point in the college football season. And it's a big turning point in the college football season because, as we'll get to in a little bit, we've got a f- our first release of College Football Playoff Selection Committee rankings coming on Tuesday. A reminder to listeners and viewers that we will be reacting to those Tuesday night rankings on Tuesday night. So make sure that you subscribe, not only to the audio form of the podcast, but also uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three. Once again, smash that bell, that notification bell, because that lets you know when we go live. We're going live a little bit earlier than we have and. Only the people who are subscribed are the ones who know, and you're in here, you're already commenting, uh, you're already excited about the day that was. That we lot to get to, but I like to be able to start where we just were, which is Ohio State's narrow win against Penn State. So um, I'm going to throw this to you first, Tom. Did, did, did Penn State just not put together a game plan for Illinois? Because... Penn State looked so much better prepared for the Buckeyes than it did for the Fighting Illini. And and look, and, and I mean that not to put you on the spot from like an Illinois perspective, but at least this is startling and it makes it difficult not only for someone who has to rank uh, teams for the CBS Sports 130, as we all have to do, but for the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, for the AP poll, like, it is difficult to know what to make of Penn State after the nine overtime loss when this Nittany Lions team looked really competitive against a good Ohio State team, was it more Penn State? Was it more Ohio State? How do you uh, look at these two teams after the result? Well, as for the question about like last week's preparation, I don't know, but here's the evidence. Ohio State lost to Illinois at home last week in nine overtimes. During the week, James Franklin kept stumbling over his own words and talking about how the team was getting prepared to play Illinois in the big house this weekend instead of Ohio State at Ohio Stadium. And then tonight, that Penn State team, they lost by nine, but they looked a whole hell of a lot more prepared for Ohio State than they did for Illinois last week. So, well, I don't know. Oh, and earlier in the day, Illinois lost at home to Rutgers. So, while I can't say for sure, 
I know what happened because we can't put it past the fact that these are 18 to now 24 year old kids, depending on super <laughs> senior status, who from time to time might get caught looking ahead, might not be emotionally pre prepared for a game, might just think they could show up and win and get caught. So was it was it preparation? Was it them just not being gassed up for the game last week? I don't know. But clearly, this was a better Penn State team. And I think also from a schematic standpoint, Penn State's better prepared to stop Ohio State's running attack than they were for an Illinois formation that was seven offensive linemen two tight ends, a quarterback, and a running back. So, I don't know. I, as, far, as far as the actual game that we saw tonight, I feel like, and this is Penn State fans will get annoyed by this, I feel like Ohio State kept Penn State in the game more than Penn State really did anything. Because Ohio State had six red zone possessions, only scored on five of them, had one turnover, only one touchdown. The rest were field goals. If Ohio State finishes drives... You're over 37 and a half cashes easily, and Ohio State probably wins this game by three scores. That said, full credit to Penn State for, you know, bowing up and getting, you know, finishing it off in the red zone and keeping them out of the end zone. They deserve credit for that. But still, I, I do feel like this was Ohio State keeping Penn State in the game more than anything. I, I think that there's certainly a point to what Tom is saying there. Um, Penn State scored on much, you know, just a, a much higher rate. Of its scoring opportunities, at, at, you know, at a higher margin, Ohio State though there was a couple things that bothered me about their their performance in this game, and we had some questions about them coming into this game because they had just beaten up you know just four terrible teams in a row, and they had crushed them, you know, like you would think an elite team would crush them. Uh, but th there is a little bit of you know kind of covariance going on there, and you know Travion Henderson was really good, but. They still had a decent number of stuffs. C.J. Stroud was good, but just they still had some third downs and things with some misfires. I thought Penn State's corners, for the most part, played like pretty damn well. They really locked up Olave a lot, and Stroud was trying to hit Olave over and over again. I don't know what his target numbers were, but God, they had to throw to him I don't know, eight, nine, ten times, man. And he, had he, didn't, he didn't do that much. Nine targets for Olave. For how many yards? For three catches for forty-four yards on nine targets. See that's that's bad. Like, like mm -hmm. if Stroud has a hell of an arm. I think he's actually pretty damn accurate down the field a lot of times. When he learns to get off that first read more often and get to the second and third, they will be kind of borderline unstoppable. I also say, as they're now two games removed from losing Mustafer, the defensive tackle for Penn State, I think Penn State handled that absence better, and they had a better plan for what to do without him. The one thing I thought they did a really good job was they, they kept their linebackers clean all night, right? Like Ohio State was struggling to get to the second level for most of the night to block those Penn State linebackers. Penn State was able to come down and limit Travion Henderson uh, somewhat. You know, offensively, great execution by Penn State at times. Um, I don't know. I, I wanted to see more dominance from Ohio State. Well, Penn State still can't run the ball consistently. No, this is true. Well, actually, no, they, they're very consistent with their run game. They just can't do it. It's incredibly consistent. That is a very fair. They cannot run the ball successfully with any kind of consistency. 21% success rate with the running backs tonight. Yeah. 30, 33 yards on 29 carries. You take out the sacks. It was still only 56 yards and 2.2 per attempt. You're not beating anybody good running the ball like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm I felt really bold with that take. 
because I didn't even know any stats. I've been hammering out tomorrow's top 25 today. Didn't even look at the box score. I just know the football game that I watched, this was not a Penn State team that was intimidating run the ball. And that is still the like consistent theme here. I still, like both of you though, I feel like I'm giving uh, flowers to Penn State for just being able to have a, a much, much, much better response. And, you know, maybe Tom, to your point, that is the human beings and the players that we are dealing with here for Ohio state before, before we move on, because there is uh, another big 10 result that I think was far more significant and far more impressive. Are you real, real concerned or are you looking at this? Like, okay, you you got Roland beaten up on Maryland, beaten up on Rutgers, beaten up on Indiana, and, and now you got to face a test. And in fact, if you are an Ohio State fan, if I was an Ohio State fan who wanted Ohio State to win a Big Ten championship, win a college football playoff, win a national championship, I think I come out of this knowing that you got tested, you had a good response, and maybe with a little bit more confidence, but you still have to play Michigan State, you still have to play Michigan has your opinion changed on the Buckeyes at all from this result? No. I mean, I, I this Ohio State struggled with Penn State most of the time the last few years. It's not like there's been a lot of Ohio State blowouts of the Nittany Lions. This is a team that they've always had trouble with. And there really isn't an easy path to the playoff. You're going to have bad games. You're not going to be dominant all the time. But I think, honestly, the fact that they are dominating the teams they're supposed to dominate is the good sign. Having a close game against a Penn State, a Michigan, or a Michigan State won't worry me. Having close games against Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers, those teams, that worries me. I, I think that's fair. I, I will say I was very frustrated with Sean Clifford tonight for like the 37th billionth time <laughs> in his college career because they were still getting guys open against Ohio State, guys mm-hmm. who Oregon hit. Like I, I don't think Ohio State's defense is fixed just with a different play caller. Right. I I wonder if they're not suffering like if 2020 was not a COVID year. I, I know I asked this on Twitter. D- does Ohio State have a different defensive staff? Right? Like like are they are they able to to not write off 2020 as kind of a weird COVID year and then make make some defensive staff changes in the offseason? Because there were guys open, especially on a lot of these in-breaking routes, he just didn't pull the trigger on. And, and at some point somebody's gonna pull the trigger and they're gonna hand Ohio State a second loss if they can do that. I will say before we move on, one thing I want to bring up for you guys and for our our listeners and our viewers. Keep this in mind going forward because I took advantage of it tonight. Mike Yersich is really good at scripting the first drive of the game. Penn State has scored a lot of points in the first quarter and a lot of them on their first drive. And then after that, the offense kind of stalls. So what I did tonight was Penn State marches down the field, takes a 7-0 lead on Ohio State. I was able to give the Buckeyes minus 7.5 on the live line. Mm. It covered just something to keep track of Penn State first quarters, maybe going forward, and then live betting. What the was other the live line? Because final margin was nine. I got it at seven and a half after that oh, first Penn State touchdown. Beautiful. So that missed field goal at the end was just. <laughs> 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 okay, well, um, let's let's keep it rolling there because there's there's an individual side of this where I think that Kenneth Walker the third and his five touchdowns the most. Any individual player, five rushing touchdowns, the most any individual players had against a top 10 opponent since 2001 has its own sort of bubble. If we want to talk about, you know, Heisman Trophy, if we want to talk about the best individuals in college football, there is also Michigan State 
now 8-0 after that 37-33 win against Michigan, where we now have to compare Michigan State to Ohio State, and we have to start to think about Michigan State as a college football playoff team. Tom, you were live blogging this game, and it was the best game of the day. It was two awesome teams exchanging haymakers. There were twists and turns in all of this, and while I enjoyed my Miami Pitt experience, in another world, literally an alternate universe, I really want you to drive this conversation here because you were live blogging. You wrote it for CBSSports.com. Go check out his takeaways uh, and more. But, I mean, what what do we make of both of these teams coming out of an instant classic from the Big Ten? I have good things to say about both teams. <laughs> I think, first of all, you mentioned Kenneth Walker's five touchdowns and it being the most against the top ten opponents since 2001. Forget that. It's the most ever against Michigan in any game by any opponent. And Michigan has been playing college football for a very long time. So I think Kenneth Walker pretty much clinched a trip to New York in December. No matter what. Locked up. He's got to be because this is like, as far as the Heisman race is concerned, this has been a season crying for somebody to actually just kind of reach out and take control of it. And the best way to do that is to make big plays in big games. And Kenneth Walker made a lot of big plays today and almost, I mean, honest to God, single-handedly carried his team to a win against Michigan. Because if you look at the box scores, you look at the post-game win expectancy kind of stuff, this isn't a game Michigan State would win most of the time based on how things played out. But they did. They pulled it off. It was not the greatest performance from them defensively. Michigan had 552 yards of offense. Like Michigan State focused on it, did what you would think it should do. Like it said, you know what? We're going to take away Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, and let's see if this Michigan team that hasn't really thrown the ball all season long can beat us in the air. And then Cade McNamara goes out, throws 383 yards, two touchdowns. J.J. McCarthy came in sometimes. He was three for four for 23 yards. As a team, Michigan passed for over 400 yards. It only rushed for 146 and 4.3 per carry. So it's a huge win for Michigan State. You have to feel great about it because you beat your state rival. You are now in first place in the East, tied with Ohio State. You control your own destiny. You are, when the playoff when the playoff rankings come out on Tuesday, there's a very good chance this team will be in the top four. That's awesome. But if you're Michigan, you lost, and that sucks. But I'm honestly more optimistic about Michigan's chances of beating Ohio State than I was going into the game because, but as you mentioned, Penn State had receivers running open today against Ohio State. Michigan had receivers running open today against Michigan State. And now that the Wolverines have shown they could throw the ball, I think, I'm not saying they're going to, but I think they're a hell of a lot more capable of beating Ohio State than I did like you know at this time yesterday. So... If the outfield is 300, right, you only need to hit it 301 to get over the fence. And I feel, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of feel like Michigan State today hit a lot of balls 301, <laughs> 302, 303, right? And, and credit to them because, hey, I, I don't need you to run through the end zone. Just get me just across the goal line. And that, that's that's what they did. But uh, Matt, what's his name from the uh, everyday, not everyday, should be Saturday, the, the, the old, uh, Dr. Saturday, the Yahoo. Matt Matt, Matt Hitton. Hey, that is a our CBS colleague. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, Brett McMurphy made Matt Hinton stand up on a table and sing the Southern Miss fight song because he, he told CBS? him it was an initiation tribute, yes. and that wasn't even true. He just wanted to see if he would do it, and he didn't stand <laughs> he on did. the table, but he did sing the fight song in front of a room full 
of CBS employees just because Brett was like, hey, let's let's see if this will work. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was that a good restaurant we were at that night, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he used to have a stat called wasted yards, right? And they're basically yards on drives on which you don't score. Tom, mm-hmm. Michigan State had 395 yards today. Total this up in your head real fast. Here are their scoring drives. 75, 75, 75, 86, 41. That's like 320. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so about about 80%, 75% of, of Michigan State's yards came on drives in which they scored touchdowns on, which is awesome. And they finished those drives and they hit big plays on those drives. We wanted to know, could Michigan continue to stop explosive plays like they've done pretty much all year? And, and Michigan State hit those explosive plays. However, I'm not really sure it's sustainable to do like nothing else at all on all of your other drives and then just be like, all right, let's call the touchdown drive. This is it's a good, good touchdown script here. Uh, I agree with Tom. I think I came away more impressed somewhat with both teams because of what they did offensively. Uh, and maybe well, that's the mark of a great game, stuff. right? Yeah. Like if if you come out of a top ten matchup between two top ten teams and you feel better about both teams in the general national landscape, that was one of the best games that we're probably going to get all year. And it wasn't all that dissimilar from what we saw in Ohio State Penn State because like we talked about Ohio State keeping Penn State in the game with its red zone. Michigan scored on all six of its red zone possessions today. It's just it only scored touchdowns on two of them. So then, again, this is another situation where Michigan State's defense, they were playing red zone roulette because the Wolverines were able to move the ball down the field for the most part relatively easily before Michigan State would tighten things up in the red zone and kind of held tight and forced them to kick field goals. It worked for them today. But that's a dangerous game to play against really good offenses. And I feel like, you know, some offenses, like if you, if you get, if Michigan State gets to the playoff or when it gets to that Ohio State game, I don't know if that'll be as effective against those kind of teams. But it was effective enough against a very good team in Michigan today. And if Michigan finishes a couple of those drives, it's a very different outcome. I will note here success rates for Michigan's running backs Hassan Haskins, 29%, Blake Corum, 31%. That is not really conducive to salting away a lead if you cannot run the ball when you need to. Other Some other teams have run the ball okay on Michigan State, and Michigan was not able to do so. Also, for Michigan State, uh, Jalen Naylor, one of, their, one of their top pass catchers, uh, was wearing a, a mm-hmm. cast on his wrist on the sideline. So something to watch going forward. Yeah, a they got uh, green cast. <laughs> yeah. Jaden Reed, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Not that name right yet. Reed was good in this game, but you're right. Uh, if I've always thought that Naylor was my uh, WR1 out of that room. So very interesting. Something to keep a track on. As always, follow Bud on Twitter at BudElliot3 for all of the injury updates. He, he does an all-call. And honestly, if you just like open up the Twitter thread and just see everyone that's responding to him, you can gain a lot of information for your own handicapping. There's a little hack for you. Uh, moving forward. Okay, let's let's play a little game. So on Tuesday, the new college football playoff selection committee rankings, the first college football playoff selection committee rankings will be released for the 2021 season. Uh, Georgia, a 34-7 winner over Florida. They were number one in the AP poll. Cincinnati, 
Things were a little bit sticky, 14 to 12, but they end up uh, pouring on some points late. They beat Tulane 31 to 12. Uh, they're number two in the AP poll. Alabama was off. Uh, Oklahoma at number four rolled Texas Tech 52 to 21. Uh, the Ohio State team was at number five. We've already mentioned them. Michigan State was at number eight. Tom, you have already uh, pitched the possibility that Michigan State will be in the top four of the college football playoff selection committee rankings. There are two conversations and I, I honestly don't care which one we take, but the two conversations that I want to make sure we, we address here are what you think the committee should do and what you think the committee will do based on what little we know about a college football playoff selection committee that has you know changed out a few members year to year, but still we've got you know six years of evidence. And uh, I went and looked this up for the tomorrow's top twenty-five today. The first college football playoff selection committee rankings have almost always differed in some way from the AP poll. You know, much like odds makers, it tightens up once we get a little bit closer to selection Sunday. But, you know, some some big swings will be made from time to time. Like in the uh, 2019 season, they had the exact same top five, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, and Clemson, but none of them were in the same positions. All of them were slightly different. In 2018, totally agreed on Alabama and Clemson at one and two. However, uh, where they were for LSU, Notre Dame, Michigan, Oklahoma, and, and, and Georgia were a little bit different. In 2017, uh, things were a little bit shifted, including a Wisconsin team that was undefeated at number four in the AP Top 25, but number nine in the playoff rankings when those first 2017 rankings came out. So there can be as many as a handful of spots difference between the AP poll and the college football playoff rankings. So again, there's, there's two conversations going on at the same time what you think will happen and what you think should happen when the college football playoff selection committee releases its first rankings on Tuesday, based on everything we saw, uh, Tom already declared it, but how do you see that top four, top five shaking out? So to, to me, I, I think there's a pretty clear four teams in this, right? Like right now. And then there's a couple teams on the outside, but to me, I would have to think that Georgia, Michigan State, Cincinnati, and probably Oklahoma, I would say, are your four that are going to be on Tuesday night in some order. Now, it could be that maybe they don't put Oklahoma in, maybe they put Alabama in, but I don't see them doing that quite yet because I don't really know who Alabama's best win is right now, and Oklahoma still doesn't have a loss. So I, my question is, is Michigan State two, three, or four? Is Oklahoma three or four? Is Cincinnati two or three? I, I think those are kind of the prime questions for me, right? Uh, I don't think you're going to see Bama in the top four to start it out. There's no real point in doing that, A, because their resume does not deserve it so far, I don't think. B, we know what Bama needs to do. They need to win out. If they win out, they'll keep rising up. We'll see it happen every week. So I do not think the committee is going to put Alabama in there right now. Maybe Tom does. I, I think it'll be one of those four that I named. I or, think Bama will be in there. Ooh, over who? I think it's going to be Georgia, Bama, Michigan State, and Oklahoma. 
No Cincinnati top four. No, because I think now that Miami's winning, they're going to look at Michigan State and say that those Miami, the Miami win and the Michigan win are two better wins than what Cincinnati is with Notre Dame because what's Cincinnati's second best win right now? We know that they're going to do anything they can to keep Cincinnati outside the top four because if they put them there now, they can't justify taking them out later if Cincinnati wins out. So they're going to keep them outside the top four to start and then hope that Cincinnati takes care of itself by losing a game at some point. So I think right now, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, Michigan State. I'm not 100% sure of the order, but I do think Alabama will get in there over Cincinnati, over Ohio State, over Oregon, over those teams. We are so cynical right now about what the committee will do. I I, I love it. Like like we're, we're basically not like we're not pretending that they just try to pick the four best teams, mm-hmm. right? Like there's definitely something that goes on with this. We we, we saw the whole BCS system and all, all the bowl system. Like the people who are on this committee are very tied into that. So, um, well, yeah, I thought I, that you were attacking the lazy thing where you just take the zeros and you just throw them up to the top. And by zeros, I mean the loss column because I mean you said Georgia. Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Cincinnati, right? That was your four? Basically, that that is what they do generally. It, it's like if you're undefeated, you're going to be really, really high. If you're undefeated as a G5 team, you're probably going to be behind like a really, really good one-loss P5 team. Uh, but like depends on what time of year. The other point here, I mean, Houston beat SMU tonight. So Cincinnati, I think you can make an argument – Yes, we had them here. Yes, they were undefeated. But as everybody else plays tougher games and proves themselves down the stretch, Cincinnati has one good win in Notre Dame. And it's not really the Bearcats' fault that the rest of the AAC this year kind of stinks. But they don't play Houston right now. They they might play Houston in the AAC title game, potentially. Uh, But sorry. We'll have to move but you guys down that's later. That's the committee's job to be they, able to say, like, like SMU they're not has give not, themselves that headache. They're not going to put Cincinnati in the top four. Okay, well, listen, whether whether that happens or not, I'm just like, SMU's loss to Houston should not impact the ranking of Cincinnati on October or on November 2nd. All right, show bet. Cincinnati is in the top four Tuesday night. Okay. All right. Straight Wait, up? So- sure. All right, so cool. who's saying yes? Who's saying no? Is that I'm saying yes? I'm saying no. I, I don't even think they're going to stay in, but I, I think they're going to be in the first one. Because that's because including SMU and Houston is projection. I mean, we're talking about a four and four Miami team that Bama's getting talking credit about for winning a group over? of five team and a power five team. They they have the best win between the two schools, and they're undefeated. No, you can argue the Michigan win just as good as the Notre Dame win. And that's oh, what the committee Oh, sorry. Will do. I was saying between Cincinnati and Alabama. Oh, well, Alabama's Alabama. Okay, that's that's a fair point. That They do use that logic quite a bit. <laughs> Alabama doesn't even have to win Hell, its own damn We've seen conference. the committee make up stats. It doesn't like have they, to win its own division to get they, into the playoff. In the they past. made up game control yeah. in 2014 to keep FSU out. They, Remember, even, like, we never heard of game control before, and we haven't heard of it really since. Don't even get me started on this, because... The playoff has done that thing where they have like journalists come in and they show them the process of what they go through to put these rankings together. And we have these stats and we have this. How many of them do you think ever asked, well, why do you use this stat? Why don't you use this stat? Are the stats the same every week? Or would you blah, blah, blah? nobody ever asked that question? But I would just, yeah. Anyways, 
and they're not allowed to uh, uh, to use certain stats. By the way, stats mm-hmm. that would like actually show like comparative analysis and control for team quality and things. By the way, uh, touchdown UVA. The UVA w- went down twenty eight seven and twenty one nothing, and they had the lead before half. The live total at that game creeped up to a hundred one and a half there for a minute. I saw that in the chat. Somebody said that the live total was at 101.5. I thought that was Mix, the the contemporary adult radio station. I didn't realize it was going to be an actual live total here in the uh, in in the Saturday night uh, window of college football. Yeah, so it's 105.5 now on uh, on Chris. If anybody needs me, I'll be sweating and under 101 and a half for the rest of the show. <laughs> okay, so. In the college football playoff selection committee rankings discussion, now let's take it to the Oregon Ducks. 52 to 29 winners against Colorado. Um, I called it a deceptive, like 52 to 29 win because I think Oregon played better than that even final score shows. Just because Colorado poured on some touchdowns late, I thought the defense did a really good job of just like turning this thing into a blowout and those garbage time scores by the buffs made it seem, I guess a little bit more shootouty than it really was. Um, you know, Oregon's got the win against Ohio state. What I still believe ducks winning in Columbus is one of the best wins that we'll have in the entire college football season. Where does Oregon stack up against the best teams in the country? Uh, when the playoff rankings come out. It's going to be interesting to see what the committee does with them in Ohio State. I would think, based on their history, they'll probably have Oregon head Ohio State. Right. They try to go head-to-head early as much as possible. Yeah, and then, you know, cross your fingers and hope Oregon loses again at some point so you could do what you want to do, which is put Ohio State back up there. So, I mean, yeah, I I thought Oregon looked good today. I mean, like you mentioned, it was 52-29 final, but the score was 44-14 to after the third quarter. So, I mean, this was a game that Oregon had very much in control, kind of took some guys out. But I do think that this is, I mean, I don't think Oregon is an elite team, but I, I don't think Michigan State's an elite team. So, for me, I think... Honestly, I'm not going to make this show bet, but I think Oregon, because of that Ohio State win, even with a loss, has a better chance of being in the top four on Tuesday than Cincinnati does. Ooh, man. He said not going to make it a show bet. Not making a show bet, but I'm just saying, because Oregon is a Power 5 team that's in contention to win a Power 5 conference, and no matter what Cincinnati does this year, it's not in a Power 5 conference. I'm a sucker. College football has me excited about these dumb rankings coming out on Tuesday. I'm I'm not excited about them, but they are part of the job. I mean, (laughs) people should be excited to watch the live show on Tuesday. I I know, but but like part of this is like our audience understands that like we are with them. We are with the audience. We are peers with them and that we are along for the ride like we are taking this in this is sport we talk about 12 months a year we only have 12 games in the regular season like this every little bit that we get we are going to give you every kind of reaction possible like we love college football but i do feel like i'm getting got but i go to the state fair and i still play the basketball game with the bent rims and i don't win the big stuffed animal okay i i'm still gonna shoot that's just the way it works (laughs) Did BYU just score again? They did. I'm going to lose my under 101 and a half. <laughs> All right, bud, where are you at with Oregon right now? 
well, I, I, I think I have Oregon probably – so power rating-wise, obviously pretty far down there, right? Uh, playoff ranking-wise, I think they will be probably sixth behind Alabama, uh, but ahead of Wake Forest. That That is kind of roughly where I think they're going to be. Um, that win against Ohio State in the horseshoe looks better and better, right? Uh, their loss to Stanford, depending on what Stanford does tonight, Stanford is currently losing to Washington. If, if Stanford could somehow find a way to make a bowl, that, that would certainly help those guys a little bit. Uh, UCLA is currently getting drubbed by Utah, so that that you know win not quite as impressive. But I I, I think I have them sixth, just behind Bama. Okay. Any other uh, surprises or predictions for the uh, college football playoff rankings release coming up on Tuesday? Uh, they will do a full hour show and then not release the rankings until the last five minutes. I predict they are going to have Ohio State very low relative to where Ohio State fans yeah. think they should be mm-hmm. because the committee knows they have all that all those good games left against like Michigan and Michigan State and then maybe Wisconsin coming out of the West. And if they, you know, a one loss big 10 team is almost certainly in. And so I think they're going to start them out pretty low and build that drama. Here's maybe spoil a little bit of where we're going. What's the highest ranked ACC team going to be? Wake where's where are they going to have wake though? 10, eight. Okay. Cause I, like I, I tweeted and maybe this, we could transition to that, but like, is Wake Forest the most dominant eight and O anonymous team in the history of this sport? I don't think you can be anonymous when you are just so clearly. Uh, it's it's very obvious what Wake Forest is, right? Where you know you're going to get forty points, and you know that depending on the competition, and if you have a quarterback who can throw the ball. Well, actually, never mind. Army did it. You don't even need a quarterback who can throw the ball. <laughs> if you have an offense that is operating with any kind of efficiency, you can get 40. Well, you can get 30. But the problem is Wake's going to still be one touchdown ahead of you the whole way. It is It is an identity that this team is going to be able to ride for, I don't know, a 10-2 and two season, uh, an 11-1 and one season. I just don't know where the one or the two are coming. Will Wake Forest be ranked higher than Cincinnati? No. No, I don't think so either. No. But I think that's where the committee will finally draw the line. Does Wake Forest have a better win than Cincinnati right now? No. I will say I, I am not totally convinced that Wake Forest is going to get beat in the regular season. Neither am I. <laughs> well, I, I hearken back to the Mississippi State against NC State game, and that was when NC State had Peyton Wilson and when they had Jordan Moore. And Mississippi State threw the ball fairly effectively on the NC State secondary. And Wake can chuck it around, man. And NC State screwed around tonight. And I think they the stat on, on the broadcast was that they had like six straight drives that, that combined for 35 yards. Like that that final score against Louisville, I'm not going to say it was misleading, but a lot of that came pretty late. So it would not shock me if Wake can drop a lot of points on NC State. Now, if Wake doesn't get healthy on defense, they, they kind of have an Oklahoma-like situation going on right now on their defense side of the ball. If they don't get healthy on defense, then Wake could give up a 50-burger to NC State easy. But uh, I think they could run it. And they could they could win. I mean, if they end up playing Pitt, 
Virginia in the ACC title game. I don't think it's going to happen because, again, three of their final four games are on the road. But, like, an undefeated 13-0 and Wake Forest ACC champion is not out of the line of questioning. Undefeated 13-0 and Wake Forest champion makes the college football playoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even I, though probably won't ever beat a ranked team en route to it. But you, you, you can't do that. No, you can't. You can't, you can't do 13-0 Power 5 champion not no. in the college football playoff. No. How many bowl teams are they going to play? Oh, a lot. Because I don't know if you saw, uh, but uh, my man got it done against BC. Okay? I'm not going to do the whole drop now. Y'all got to wait till the end of the episode because I got it. But let's see. How many bowl teams did they beat? Virginia, that's a bowl team. Uh, Is Florida State a bowl team? No. No. Louisville probably will Well, I will say Florida State maybe could be. I want to see if Louisville quits right now. I don't know. Like some of the guys I trust who covered Louisville were tweeting some stuff tonight that was like, ooh. Tonight Uh, was an awful game. Yeah, but Louisville people are like that. Listen, Louisville's, Louisville's four and three. I they have Clemson, Syracuse, Duke, Kentucky left. They need to get two. I, I think they're probably a bowl team. Sure. Okay. So I I wanted to save this just because it's like a a really strange. I was I was gonna unleash it on next week's locks, but my wouldn't it be hilarious has to do with the game against North Carolina next week in Chapel Hill. You want to know why? Because it's not a conference game. Oh, that's right. Wake Forest and North Carolina signed a non-conference home-and-home agreement. They did that last year, yep. And so if Wake Forest loses to North Carolina, it's not going to count for the conference race. (laughs) And there's nothing more than I want than to have to explain in 15 radio hits all across the country why Wake Forest losing to North Carolina, a team in its conference in its own state, does not hurt it in its race to win the division and compete for a conference championship. Chip Chip with a 25-minute TED Talk about conference realignment destroying regional rivalries. <laughs> I mean, it would be so funny if what? Wake is still undefeated in conference play with a loss to North Carolina. 117.5, by the way. Yeah. Virginia came Just back and scored again. Now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, the Wake final schedule you said uh three games away from home it's at north carolina nc state at home at clemson at boston college nc state by beating louisville remains very much in that acc championship race where wake forest is the division leader uh wake forest has won 10 out of the last 12 against the Wolfpack in winston-salem uh that is where that game is going to be held on november 13th but wake has also been on the wrong side of I don't know, a lot of Clemson results. And Clemson was able to uh, find a way against Florida State. Do we want to uh, Do we want to hit that now? Talk that bad beat for Danny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Worst beat of the day. Without, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not, listen, we're not going to infringe on the SVP uh, and Stanford Steve, like bad beat train. Like that is y'all's, that, that is y'all's thing for sure. I, I also don't have the energy. We, we do a lot to try and give you the awesome content that we do, this multi-platform excellence. But best I can tell, that was the worst beat of the day. 
certainly yeah. how it two happened. Times, two times over, both against the spread and, and also the total. The total. Mm-hmm. Now, was it the most undeserved result? No. no, but it was definitely the worst beat as like how it happened. I mean, if you got to that point, you're thinking, I'm good. And then FSU does like the, like the crazy lateral, you know, try to uh, just chuck the ball around, see if they can, they can somehow score. They can't. And then I think it screws the team total, the side, and the game total uh, there because Clemson scores a touchdown. Of course, I had the over, so I was like, yes. Oh, yeah. Nice I saw play. Nate in the chat just said that it was the team total, too. I didn't even mm-hmm. realize that we hit three levels of bad or good, in Bud's case, beats on this ridiculous defensive touchdown on Florida State's uh, last play. And I, I didn't even have a good day betting at all. And I was like, God, this is so annoying. I mean, like Clemson is outgaining FSU back 130 yards. FSU has an 11% success rate on passing downs. They can't run the ball at all. Like Clemson is much better than them in all phases today. And Clemson, Norvell managed the game better than Dabo did and kept that thing a little bit closer. Dabo's out there trying to kick like 50-yard field goals a bunch. And I'm like, what what, what are we doing here, man? Like, just just go for it. Come on. It, it, the, the ball's balls at like 35 twice. <laughs> just kicks are nowhere close. Nowhere close. Uh, and so Clemson ends up missing nine points worth of kicks. FSU misses an extra point. I I think Clemson and the over were probably the right side, and yet I do feel really bad for Danny. <laughs> but I did call the correct score exactly on this show. So I have a proposition for Dabo and the Clemson staff. Now that the Arch Manning official visit weekend is over, and you don't have to worry about him being there and watching, how about we just run the option? over the final month of the season. Just with DJ and Will Shipley. Forget trying to pass the ball. Let's just go some flex bow and triple option kind of attack because I think, honestly, at this point, it's what's best for you. I will say their receivers made plays. They got, they got, they got it back, and they got what's-his-name back, and, just, and Justin Ross was not always double-covered. And like those guys had a fairly high success rate overall. Yeah, Joe, Joe did not. Still, DJU... 19 yeah. for 31, 189 yards. Just a very pedestrian performance. I'm just I'm saying I might let let him get let him let him pitch, let him battering ram, and then once you pull that defense up to the line of scrimmage, then give him a shot to go deep over the top. That this, defense is good. This is a reckless take, but I need you because I, I I am 100 percent certain you saw more snaps of this game than I did. But I I don't believe in DJ as a battering ram like I did coming into the season. He just I, needs he needs a runway. You know what I mean? Like he's just not quick enough to to get up to like batter like to ramming speed. He needs he, he needs to have like like a seven step drop first in the shotgun so he, he can get like like a whole lot of whole lot of runway going. He's just not quick. He's just you know what I mean? He may not be slow like once he gets going, but he's kind of got like eighteen wheeler thing going on. So if the new Manning commits to Clemson, does DJU hit the portal right away? Well, they got another kid coming in as well from Texas who's, who's pretty damn good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was Klubnik is going to tell us what's going on with Clemson's offense, right? I think so. I mean, I I, I want to see how he does. He's still going to be a true freshman, and like DJ also was just as good as Klubnik, if not better, in high school, right? And is pretty talented and. You got a lot of people out there who did play in the NFL saying Clemson's offense is kind of BS. So 
We'll see what, how they retool that this offseason. We'll see if maybe – I would suggest Clemson hit a portal to sign a – I'm going to call it a tight end or a slot receiver, right? Like somebody who is not 6'4 and not like somewhere between you know 195 and 210. Can you give me a slot receiver in that offense so you can threaten the middle of the field some? Because they I just would, got a bunch of trees. I would also hit the portal and find two tackles, two guards, and a center. <laughs> yeah, that those guys may be on the roster. They're just hurt. The slots, I feel like they just don't have on the team right now. Yeah, the uh, the phrase, and man, Vandy had a tough day, but much love to uh, to Barton. We don't need to linger on that, but Barton called him Cadillacs. Said you got these big old Cadillacs, <laughs> and you need a couple dirt bikes in that offense. So Clemson, hit that portal. Go find yourself some dirt bikes. Coming up on the other side, uh, it was a – a wild day of college football all across the landscape. We will get into more of our week nine takeaways next. Robert half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so let's. Uh, we, we've already gotten into, I guess we haven't really dug deep on Georgia, Florida, so if, if something stands out there, please uh, make sure that we hit it quick just because, I don't know, they're the number one team in the country. Uh you know, anything else, the the Pitt-Miami game, if it interests y'all or if you've got any questions. Uh, I, I, again, as I said earlier in the show, I spent way too much time with that game than uh, is healthy. I actually need to go get screamed for all kinds of uh, conditions following uh, at all that time with Pitt-Miami. But uh, what drew y'all's attention here on this Week 9 Saturday? I would actually like to hear your thoughts on Pitt-Miami because I wasn't yeah, really I able get to, to get my eyes on this one. Okay. So, uh, we still have a pit team that cannot run the ball when it needs to. However, it knows that it cannot run the ball, which is why Pitt, like Miami, had more penalty yards than rushing yards in this game. Because <laughs> both of these teams were racking up personal fouls left and right. They both finished with nearly 100 yards of penalty yards, while we had 426 passing yards for Tyler Van Dyke for Miami and 519 passing yards for Kenny Pickett. The whole game was entirely sloppy. And yet, like at the end of it, you come away and you're thinking, like, I expected this. I 100% thought that this was going to be bad decisions, high cholesterol, and we're taking my friend to the ER. It the whole game reminded me of a bachelor party gone wrong. Like it, the whole game reminded me of like 
we went into this with good intentions, but I I did not expect it to end in this place. You come away, I think, where Manny Diaz gets to double down on his argument that he is making to his athletic director in Blake James because he's been making this argument to the reporters, and I'm sure he's making it behind closed doors too, where he said, the players that I have recruited, the young players on this team are the ones that are going to lead us to success. So when it is Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback, when it's Jalen Knighton at running back, when James Williams is coming up with huge plays on the defensive end, when you are getting those freshmen to be able to come out and star in a second straight win against a ranked opponent. Now, NC State was ranked, not ranked. Pitt will not be ranked after this loss. But still, for Manny Diaz, that's two straight games against ranked opponents. For Pitt, I don't know, it kind of feels like the bill came due on for the Panthers. So those, those are two lingering takeaways. It stinks that Kenny Pickett had his worst throw of the day at the most important time throwing an interception at the four-yard line, throwing it behind Jordan Addison instead of in front of Jordan Addison where it's a touchdown and a game-winning touchdown and a Heisman Trophy moment that we come back and talk about, especially after he had nearly 300 yards passing in the third quarter. But I don't know. Those are those, those, That's a scattershot of, uh, of, of my thoughts that are still around from uh, that noon kickoff. I don't, I don't know if we want to go too much longer on this because we got other important games to talk about, but is Miami better off if Derek King doesn't come back? Correct. Because they get yes. Derek King, who was not 100% coming off that ACL injury. So, therefore, he's not giving you what he's fully capable of, which is why you want him. So, you've got a limited Derek King. If they've got Van Dyke from the start, I don't know if their record is any different, but I wonder if Manny was able to really kind of avoid the like early season hot seat stuff. Because I do think, from what I have seen of Van Dyke, and I first saw him, I think it was against Virginia. That kid's good. He's good. Yeah, so, no, I, I, I think so. We we really kind of got all Miami's receivers, and I think for effort sometimes they deserved it, but like they were not productive with King at all, even last year. Like they had a lot of drops. Is King just a receiver trying to play quarterback? Like remember, he played receiver at Houston for for a year, and uh, maybe he's just not a very good passer overall. Yeah, I don't know. And then you um, take away his explosiveness as a runner, and you got what you had with Miami this year. Yeah. And Jalen Knighton was suspended two mm-hmm. games, right? I mean, he was suspended for the start of the season, and he is undoubtedly the most talented player in that running back room. He can scoot. He he's he's good. That like nice job adjusting to a, a different skill set there for Miami, and they really went full youth movement on defense as well. I, I there were Miami fans were very angry because they were not playing all their young guys who we knew were talented early in the year. And look, maybe to Tom's point, maybe the record would not be any different because maybe. Miami's young guys were not ready at the beginning of the year. Maybe they're just coming along now. But if so, it's a heck of a job they've done developing them over the last month or so. So Miami is uh, two and two in conference play, four and four overall. Final games remaining Georgia Tech, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Duke. This is a Miami team that I think is going to finish seven and five at worst, eight and four possibly. And depending on what Pitt does, based on today's win, Oh, God. I don't think Miami's out of it in the Coastal. Oh, God. And they've got Georgia Tech, Florida State, Duke, and Virginia. Oh, my God. We could have like a go six what? and two Miami. Yeah. So, so we, we, we we think Duke has just quit, right? <laughs> I don't like, know cut's got to be gone. I mean, I mean they, 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 
with how beat up that Wake defense is, and what we saw Army do it to it last for for two Duke scoring to do what they opportunities. Did today. Two scoring opportunities today ended in either turnovers or turn, turnover on downs in uh, possessions that I was watching. I don't think that's a reflection of David Cutcliffe. I think the fact that they were like going for it and trying was. You know, I guess okay. I don't. It's not fair. You're right, but they're think, they're I don't done. Quit is fair, but yes, I I've got uh, David Cutcliffe as the um, hipster version of the Gary Patterson. I think this is over. Yeah, I I agree. I um, think both coaches might be replaced this offseason. Yeah. So I do think that. I don't know how to say this. I think Georgia was the right side in that game. I also think it's fair to point out, if you want to take away some things for the future, Florida was not getting pushed around at all. Like Florida was stalemating Georgia at the line of scrimmage fairly well up in t- like for the first about what twenty five or so minutes mm-hmm. of the ball game, and then they have what three turnovers in the final three minutes of the first half, and Georgia scores touchdowns on all of them, including you know obviously the the pick six that and it really, really obviously changed the game. But I, I, I took that away. I do think Georgia needs to keep bringing this passing game along because they were not able to push Florida around nearly as much as, as I kind of thought they would looking at the score. Right. Um, there may be a team that can put up some more points on them. Not a ton. Obviously that defense is totally freakish, but they were not, they weren't dominating UF like I thought they would physically and then UF just went absolute turnover fest. And to George's credit, they got them. And it wasn't like totally Iowa style, but um, that was interesting to me. But see, here, here's the problem, though. Because, like, Florida did the same thing against Alabama. Like, they were very good in yeah. the trenches in that game, too. So this is a team that hasn't lived up to the hope coming in. But in the trenches, there's reasons to be optimistic about this team. But the problem is they didn't get dominated by Georgia in the trenches yet they still never had a chance to really score. We saw in the Kentucky game, Kentucky's got some very good offensive linemen. Georgia's defensive line wasn't able to dominate them, except Kentucky still had to be perfect on one drive to move down the field and score. So it's like even the teams that aren't being overwhelmed by Georgia still can't penetrate Georgia's defense, at least not consistently. And it's a weird thing because it's like we've been talking about it all year. It's like, We don't know what Georgia's going to be able to do if it gets into a situation where it needs to put up points. But we don't know if Georgia's ever going to be in that situation because its defense has been so damn good that it really hasn't mattered. And that was the case again today. It's like, as soon as Georgia scored, I felt like the game was over because Florida hadn't shown any inkling of being able to move the ball and get points, whether it was with Anthony Richardson or with Emory Jones. That's fair. I mean, that's that's really fair. Um, you know, first half, Florida had what? Four and a quarter yards of play, eyeballing this? That's, yeah, that's not much. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, 147 yards to Georgia's 203. So, they, like, they were on pace to get 300 yards. They finished, obviously, like, like some garbage time is mixed in here. Th- through three quarters, Florida – that had 214 yards through the first half. They had 147. So you're right. I mean, like they were not getting physically dominated, but yet they couldn't do anything. Yeah. (laughs) So question, Tom, what happens if Georgia throws a pick six 
and then a fumble happens, and all of a sudden they're down 14-3. They just stick to their game plan, right? Probably. Yes. Defense yep. keeps getting stops, and, mm-hmm. and, and they're fine. Like, do they need you? Do they need Daniels to come back? I don't, I don't know if they need him. I think, honestly, at this point, you're playing so well with Stetson Bennett that putting JT Daniels in there might kind of throw things out of whack because you might try to change up what you've been doing and it's not really what you've been working on or practicing. So I don't know. Kirby's going to have kind of a difficult decision, I think, or at least one that's not as obvious as you think as far as the chemistry of concerned of the way that that offense is working because while they're not super explosive and we don't think of them as a team that's going to be putting up 50 burgers on people, they still score points. They still run the ball very well. They still have a couple guys like in Brock Bowers who can make plays. And then if they get George Pickens back, they might not need to throw the ball 30 times. They might be able to get by throwing it 20 to 25 times and just running the rest of it. All right. I do have a question. I was not on this show in 2017, but there was a guy named Jalen Hurts. And it was kind of obvious that he was, eh, but the defense was still really good. And they still had a lot of good players. Would you have said the same thing about Jalen Hurts, or like, like because they have a guy in the wings now? Daniels is not quite as maybe upside as Tua is. There's a huge difference though that year. Okay, there was Des- there was Deshaun Watson in Clemson or Trevor Lawrence in Clemson. There's no Trevor Lawrence in Clemson this year to counter them. There's, I mean, if you look around, it's like Alabama. Okay, no, that was are- the year they played Georgia. Remember, he he, he put him in at halftime. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I got the wrong. But yeah, okay, no, um. I think Alabama, it's a similar situation. Alabama, to me, right now, in Ohio State, are the only two teams I think that have the chance to do it, but Alabama's offensive line got beat up by Florida's. Florida's yeah. line held up against Georgia better than, you know, so it's it's not out of line to think that Georgia's defensive front can overwhelm Alabama. My hair stood up on the back of my neck and I got goosebumps because there's nothing more college football than us debating whether Georgia should put the better player in at quarterback. They would never do that in the NFL. It is such a cold decision in the NFL, but we are talking about 18 to 22 year olds and college football players. And there is such a thing as limited practice time comfort and like everything else that builds into this. But that is like, like, please let us be debating this from December 5th until the college football playoff semifinals when we're trying to figure out who Georgia sh- should start at quarterback. I mean, that is good for page views. That is good for downloads. That is good for views. I need a Georgia quarterback controversy that can last three weeks. I need the conversation during Army Navy to be about Georgia's quarterbacks so that we can talk about who's going to be starting in the college football playoffs for the Bulldogs. That would be just a content goldmine uh, that we will be all up in. Did you see Kirby's quote? About recruiting? Now, I don't think today was really about recruiting. I think it was more like they had a kid have ridiculous turnovers right before the half and it kind of all like the, the moment was just too big for him as, as a, tr- a true freshman but the quote curry smart quote there's no coach out there that you can out coach recruiting no coaching is going to out coach players anybody will tell you our defense is good because we have good players it's now true. i think Dory also has really good coaches on defense and actually i think they have really good coaches on offense too and they're trying to coach around like all these receivers being out and daniel's 
trying to work him back in and not bring him back until he's healthy and all, all that stuff. Like I think Georgia's coaching this year has been really damn good, and they're playing to their strengths quite well. But I mean, do, do all 11 starters in that Georgia defense have NFL careers? Yes. No. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, are we talking about Jalen Carter's not a starter, but he's also in there. So, like, are there 11 NFL careers? Yeah, like, out of the regular rotation of guys that they have right now, are at least 11 of them going to be in the NFL? Yes. Yeah, I I think so, yeah. It's an NFL defense. It's like that's what everybody has to deal with. They have to score on an NFL defense with college players. So I, a team that I covered um, – back when I was doing more of the, the, the beat writer stuff, uh, I think all 11 on Jimbo's 2011 defense, the, the one the one year that Jeremy Pruitt was in Tallahassee, by the way, uh, he like all of the guys on defense ended up getting drafted, I believe. So that was like Eddie Goldman, Jernigan. No, no, uh, Jones had the combine issue. He was an undrafted free agent. So, But like all those guys played in there. Um, Georgia's defense – Walker, yes. Davis, yes. Wyatt, yes. Adam Anderson, for sure. Nolan Smith, I have to think so. Quay Walker, Nicobe Dean. Is it mere speed for sure? And like he made draft pick, I guess I, I I haven't seen like a top, you know, seven round mock draft yet, but like I think he'll get a sniff at least. Uh, Lewisine is in. Darian Kendrick's going to play in the league. Uh, maybe like. Is Chris Smith? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like, so. is he a top 100 pick? No, but I, I, like, I, he's like, in the league. He's, okay, who's going to play in the league? Yeah, I think that's uh, probably all of them, Tom. Yeah, it's just that's that's what you have to deal with. Um. All right, so other teams that stood out today, uh, Houston with the huge win against SMU, Baylor got it done against Texas. Uh, the Wisconsin-Iowa result was so Wisconsin's boring, winning the West. It was so boring and over that I feel like it quickly like fell below everyone's radar. So if we want to bring it back up, and I don't know, Tom just made a broad declaration there. Uh, we mentioned Kentucky already taking the loss. Oh, I have a fun game. All right, can we ahead. play a game on the show? Yeah. Sure. All right, yeah. can we get some game show music, Chip? Do you have any game show music? All right, it is time to play everybody's favorite game show. Is this Will Levis or Spencer Petrus? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Uh, so in the last couple of weeks, uh, Will Levis, not really all that great. Uh, yards per attempt have been 4.6, 5.1, 8.5 against LSU. That was, yeah, LSU was firing their coach. 4.6 against Georgia. And then tonight, uh, yards per attempt. 28 throws, 150 yards, but three picks as well. And uh, uh, Kentucky also lost a fumble there. However, Spencer Petrus, potentially worse, I think. Yes. Let's check well, it out. No, 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 because they, Iowa also made a change at quarterback and it didn't help. So don't no. don't put the, the other stats on him. I was laughing so hard at our Iowa 24-7 sports board. Uh, there's a really big thread about Kirk Ferentz being too conservative and going fullback dive twice in a row, <laughs> which was which is great. Yeah, Spencer Petrus, 9 of 19, 93 yards, but no interceptions. Who would you rather have? Because I – I'd the gig is up on no interceptions. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'd rather have Petrus than Levis too. Like, I got to tell you, man, uh, people have figured out this Levis thing. 
that he has no touch and it's just bombs away or nothing. And they're like not really allowing the bombs away all the time right now. Uh, so that's. Is God. Baylor, Texas more Baylor or more Texas? Because it's the third. Straight double, okay. It's the third straight double digit lead blown by Texas. But I, I'm, I'm also here for acknowledging the fact that Baylor's been playing about the exact same brand of football, no matter the opponent, no matter the quality of opponent. Mm -hmm. It hasn't really changed what it does schematically. The running back, like Smith and Ebner, do a really good job of running the football, making life easier on Bohannon. The defense has all of these undersized, I mean, excuse me for saying undersized, but I'm, you know, CBS SEC brainwashed, but like they, <laughs> They're all very like well coached, well positioned. They time blitz as well. Like it, Baylor's done the exact same thing against every opponent this season. It just came up short against Oklahoma State. Baylor's a good football team. It's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah they are. I was I was skeptical about it early in the year, just based off what we saw from it last year. It was just like, yeah, okay. But they have week in and week out, like you said, they show up, they know how they're supposed to play, they execute. They came up short one week against Oklahoma State, but on a weekly basis, this has been one of the most consistent football teams that I've seen all season long. I agree. I, I the other thing I, I will point out is that Xavier Worthy, the, the receiver for, for Texas, who, who absolutely torched Oklahoma, um, if you can get him one on one, he's pretty nasty. But he's still an eighteen year old, mm -hmm. and I do think that the loss of Jordan Whittington is a fairly big deal for this Texas team. Think about who got the targets in this game. I, I, I just pulled it up. Marcus Washington, seven targets for 70 yards. I mean, Casey Thompson, not nothing really special. I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's anything really to write home about. I, I don't know, man. Bijan Robinson, like, like Baylor, really focused on taking him yeah. away. Defenses are just taking Bijan away, yeah. and then Texas doesn't really have a counter. Like I'm very confident B.J. Robinson's good and will play in the NFL. I think that Casey Thompson will be going pro in something other than sports, to, to use the NCAA line. And not having Whittington, I think, does hurt this offense more than I realized it would. And I, I mean, that's something I thought it would hurt him, but I, I think it's hurting him more. Baylor, like, they, they ran the ball okay today, which was nice, and Bohannon just took care of the ball. Good performance. Any uh okay, so right now, as we're speaking, we have a 45-42 snooze fest. Snooze fest with uh 28 minutes of football left. We're not gonna live stream <laughs> this through the conclusion of what might be another hour of football between Virginia and BYU. Fresno State currently holding a lead over San Diego State. I saw somebody in the chat. They said that the the live total on uh Virginia BYU. Let's see, Mark says, yeah, I'll pull it up for the people watching. Uh, one has an over under of 124 and a half. The other is an over live over. No, they're not. What other sport? <laughs> like, like has those this. are 80 points apart. <laughs> 100 points apart. I mean, uh, on NFL day, if you watch the live betting screen, occasionally it'll be like 68 and mm -hmm. 13. Because somebody like it's probably the Bears. Sorry, Tom. Like some bad offense and then. Some other bad offense, right? And then, like, there'll be some, you know, really good offenses going on. But, I mean, 
this is 120. What is the record for points in a game, by the way? Like not overtime. Oh, it's up at 130. Oh, we just had an incomplete pass, by the way. Wow. Haven't seen one of those all night. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh Brennan Armstrong, the the, the or, or uh the Virginia quarterback is just like dumbfounded. <laughs> um, all right. So uh so what else? Any, anything else from the notebook do you want to make sure that we get before we uh scoot on out of here? I mean Minnesota. it's not over. Oh yeah, what what happened in Minnesota? Minnesota won today. But I just can't get over like it. It beat Northwestern. It beat him pretty soundly. That's not the point. But <laughs> I'm trying to figure out because Minnesota is now alone in first place in the Big Ten West, and it lost to Bowling Green. And if this team had not lost to Bowling Green, it is currently six and one in first place in the Big Ten West. Two days before the college football playoff rankings are coming out, it would probably be in the top fifteen at a minimum. Now it might not even be ranked because it lost to Bowling Green. Just one day derailed an entire season for the Gophers. I, I want to point this out. Um, Bowling Green today, instead of taking a knee, did you guys see this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you! I would fight. Yeah. Like, instead of going for a knee, like, if I'm Buffalo, I'm taking that kid's knee. Mm-hmm. That, that's nonsense. I don't care. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be all. This is just a game, and blah blah blah. These are somebody pulls that crap against me in a game. We are fighting. I do not care. I will start swinging my helmet because that was some bull. Yeah, you uh, earlier in the show callback. You you were talking about sneaky hot seat. Mm-hmm. UCLA loses. It falls to five and four. Is Chip Kelly a sneaky hot seat candidate? I I don't think so, but maybe. Um, I, I think it would be dumb. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not saying that it would be the right decision, but when I was uh, I was going through and I was trying to think about coaches who were in action today and potentially not coaching for their jobs, but were <laughs> coaching in a game where the result could determine their jobs. Manny Diaz, Rod Carey, Justin Fuente, Seth Luttrell, Dino Babers, Scott Frost, Gary Patterson, David Cutcliffe, Justin Wilcox, Chip Kelly, Chip Long, Philip Montgomery, Jake Spavital. I think Chip Kelly deserves on that deserves to be on that list, and he's currently down 11 late in the third quarter to Utah. But if you're UCLA and you make that move on Kelly, who are you getting that you think is a better coach? I don't know. Is Scott Frost done it in Nebraska, though? Is I, Scott we, Frost better than Chip Kelly? Also, like, what is Scott Frost's appeal on the West Coast? I, I oh, I wasn't I, saying I, Scott Frost for okay. UCLA. Oh, okay. I just I hadn't pulled that list up since literally eleven a.m. or so, whatever when I made the list, and I was like, oh yeah, Nebraska lost. Skip Holtz, good. La Tech. Oh, Skip Holtz. Did they end up losing to ODU? Yeah. Oh, bad. They got the lead late, and I thought they were going to get in and out of Norfolk. But, boy, let me tell you, as somebody who did not get in and out of Norfolk without taking some L's multiple times, Tidewater will get you. (laughs) Uh, That's that's like the same same principle, too, like with the Dan Mullen hot seat stuff. Who's Florida hiring that's better than Dan Mullen right now? I don't think they're going to fire Dan Mullen unless there's some behind-the-scenes stuff going on that I'm not – totally privy to but i could see him going out after next year oh what about herm edwards only if they fire the ad 
they got whipped today at home though by, by Washington State. Yeah. Like, that was not competitive. Cooks um, had a real shot in the arm this week. Gary Patterson. What's going on there? I I, I had a guy DM. I had a guy DM me. He said, "Hey, our defense might be back, but I'm pretty sure Kansas State's defense is not this good." Thank you. Yeah. I was hoping, okay. Yeah. But you didn't pick up on that, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Said he said Washington State got a real shot in the arm. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. That golly, Tom, that is amazing. People on Twitter are telling they us got a that real injection of energy. Um, people on Twitter are telling us that uh, like it's definitely Will Levis over Petrus, and I'm just not so sure. I, I I understand that Levis brings like a running element, but. I, I'd rather have I'd rather have a guy who at least isn't going to turn the ball over like crazy. You, you know who else brings a running element? Defensive backs when they're running back with interceptions <laughs> and Will Levis throws them, man. Like <laughs> constantly. Uh we'll we'll let that debate uh continue to rage as we continue to monitor the action here on Saturday night. A reminder that the uh, a pun for the review show on Monday. One of the great things is for us to be able to gather back together, compare our notes, discuss some of the late night Saturday results and, and the things that we weren't able to get our hands on as we were uh, live blogging, covering, doing HQ, uh, focusing on different games. We get the entire landscape together. So be sure uh, to continue the conversation. One great place that you can do it is in the big old bag of mail. You go and you leave us a five-star review. You put in that review your question we will add it to a future mailbag episode again my this is my stated goal to you the audience that we will be doing even though we've got a lot of business to handle we need to update our cover three fantasy league we need to continue to review our uh, win total picks as we come down the stretch and see how confident we are what's gone busted what's already hit but every wednesday show we will have at least one mailbag question. Make it good. That's how you get on the show. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Elliott 3 You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Shout out to Nick's at Auburn. Big win today. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.